Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Matt DMS here, and welcome to episode 8 of the Matt DMS Unleashed podcast. So, today, let's talk about uh, an individual who was um, pretty big in the wrestling world in the 90s, well, 80s, actually. Um, well, no, wait, no, just the 90s, I think. I don't think he was, wasn't anything expressed in the 80s. He was the, he's the hardcore legend. Um, multiple WWE uh, championship title holder. Um, title winner, I should say. I don't know. Um, King of the Death match. Uh, one tough son of a bitch. I'm, of course, referring to uh, Mick Foley. Now, here's the thing about Mick Foley that I think it was pretty uh, captivating quite quickly about him. It was the fact that his character going into uh, WWF was like one of the darkest characters um, they've ever seen in, in quite some time, um, or if not the most darkest. Um, and I think that was kind of a, a little bit of a uh, foreshadowing of what was to come later, the next couple of years when they would eventually roll out the Attitude Era. I got a feeling Vince wanted to do something change things up as early as 96. That being said, they didn't really do much changing. Um, 96 is a pretty, uh, a very bizarre year to say the least. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, but anyway, with, uh, Mick Foley, um, he was willing to put his body on the line for people's entertainment and, you know, when it finally, when the King of the Ring happened in 98 and he got thrown off the hell in the cell, onto an announce table, and then into concrete. Um, I think everyone realized the dangers of, you know, and how, um, and, and, and started to respect the wrestlers a lot more, a little bit more, when it came to, you know, them putting their bodies on the line for their enjoyment. And Foley, after the King of the Ring, even though he was, a, he was technically a heel around that time, I think, um, he got over pretty quickly, um, he just instantly just got over massively, like, the signs in the crowd, you just see Foley as God, and, you know, I don't know how that guy managed to go through, put himself through that and survive, because, you know, he could have easily died, um, if he would have landed on his head, that would have been the end of it, um, you know, and, and that's the thing, that that is amazing about Mick's career, he's just put himself through so much, torment and pain and agony and risked his life he's lost body parts because of what he because from his i mean the whole thing with vader when he got his ear ripped off literally ripped off his ear i mean come you know it's like come on uh, this guy really loved what he did you know <laughs> to be able to sacrifice your body like that it's, it really takes a lot of guts and a lot of testicular fortitude, as he would put it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Foley, um, he, he was quite the enigma throughout the Attitude Era. Um, he was just this uh, weirdo that wore a mask and a suit and tie, or some sort of shirt with a tie. Um... It was kind of like a metaphor. I always thought of it as like a metaphor for mankind, you know. It's it, because like he did some terrible things to himself, you know. 
and having the name Mankind was kind of rather symbolic, <laughs> you know, because Mankind's going through all this pain, Mankind's, like, you know, nearly killing itself and, and whatnot. It was pretty interesting to see, to say the least, when it came to gimmicks. Um, and that's what I really liked about the Mankind character, how it, it kind of embodied humanity, you know, and how it was slowly starting to, you know, eat itself and destroy itself. You know, it, it was... And the, the Mick Foley's mic work was probably some of the best mic work you'll ever hear in professional wrestling. Um, he was so believable. And he would constantly go off script. He would constantly improvise. He would literally bring in real-life events into his promos and just make it as believable as possible. And I think a lot of people like that about his, uh, his work in the ring as well. His ability to cut promos um, was just absolutely unmatched at least uh for the most part i think there was some probably there might have been some better talkers here and there but i mean from what i can remember mick foley was one of the the best talkers in the business and you know that was definitely something that helped propel his career i mean as soon as he left ecw and went to wwf i mean he had insane mic work in ecw and him being able to you know he had a bit of a slow start in wwf because uh, you know as most people do when they come from a different promotion but you know it's like um well except for a couple of people i remember when big show went to the wwf he was already the champion within a few months which is pretty funny but um you know it's it's like uh as i say it you know with mick foley you know his mic work was what made him very very um likable by vince Vince was really impressed with um, Mick Foley's performances and the willingness to um, do all that terrible stuff to himself. And, you know, like, you know, with, like with the matches with, he'd had with Terry Funk, where they were literally bordering on um, fucking killing each other. Um, you know, it's, it was just... And Vince, Vince obviously saw something there, otherwise he wouldn't have um, hired Mick to join the WWF. So, you know... And, you know, I've heard uh, Have a Nice Day so many times, the, the audiobook version of uh, Mick Foley's book. And, you know, he always talks about how that transition from ECW, a lot of people thought he was selling out or whatever. I can't remember exactly what he said. But I, I, I would believe it if it was true. Um, I do believe it. You know, it, the fans obviously might have been felt betrayed, but at the same time, it was a great opportunity for Mick to make, you know, make some serious money, after, you know, as a reward for all the torture he's put himself through, you know? I mean, the guy deserved it. He deserved a shot at the big time, you know? So, honestly, I didn't really see an issue with him, you know, going where he went because he ended up becoming a top superstar and WWF champion multiple times. So, you know, I mean, he won the championship like three times, I think. I can't remember. But, you know, and he was hardcore champion, the original hardcore champion. You know, here's the thing that I, I kind of don't like about the new pro uh, product. You know, you know how like last year Mick Foley brought out the 24-7 title and everyone booed it? Yeah. Why didn't they just bring back the hardcore championship? I mean, granted... You know, the 24-7 championship was one of the best things about Raw, you know. It actually made me want to go back and check some Raw out. <laughs> but um, other than that, it just looked... It was, you know, everyone knew. 
Like, just bring back the hardcore championship, you know? But, you know, because it's the fucking Goo Goo Gaga baby era, you can't be having, you know, people hitting each other with stuff that often, you know, it's got to be, you know, PG. It's, uh, I don't know. It just feels really dumb. It's the 24-7 title just seems like such a, a cop-out, you know? <laughs> you know, especially with Mick Foley presenting it. I mean, he had to be thinking to himself, what the fuck are they thinking with this shit, you know? He, he must have knew the crowd would boo it, you know? I mean, come on. That was ridiculous. He sh they should have brought back the hardcore title, in my opinion. But, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, it would it would probably be a fun thing to see live. Um, like, uh, some hardcore matches. <laughs> like, looking up on the Titan Tron and see people backstage beating the shit out of people, you know, it's, oh yeah, I forgot to mention, um, yeah, that one time I went to, uh, I actually, uh, dropped the link in the timestamps, uh, list, or, I guess you could call it, um, a show note, <laughs> um, I actually, uh, I actually posted a link to the show I went to, it was, um, in Brisbane, uh, in April 2005, um, let me just bring it up here on the computer. Yeah, Tommy Dreamer wasn't there, but Tommy Dreamer recently came to Brisbane doing his, uh, House of Hardcore thing. That's what was, uh, going through my mind when I said, oh, I think Tommy Dreamer was there. No, he wasn't at that show that I went to in particular. Uh, this, uh, this, this, the show that I attended was a part of the WWE Australian tour April 2005, in, and, uh, it was in Brisbane, it was on, it took place on April 7, 2005 at the Entertainment Center in Brisbane, Australia. So, uh, basically, you had William Regal, Tajan, uh, the Hurricane, man. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Christian Valvenus, Victoria, Molly Holly, uh, Shelton Benjamin. I uh, had Kane and Edge. That was a great fight. I love that. Uh, Batista, Chris Benoit versus Ric Flair and Triple H was the, uh, I think that was the, uh, main event. So yeah, that was a fun time to watch that. You know, it was one of the few times I ever bothered watching uh, wrestling live. It was probably the only time I ever watched WWE live. So yeah. But anyway, back on topic. Uh, Mick Foley. Um, you know, uh, he was definitely a, a character, and he had multiple alter egos. He had Cactus Jack, which was his uh, hardcore persona. He had uh, Dude Love, which was originally what he wanted to be. <laughs> that was what he originally wanted to call himself because he did like a home video, um, you know, uh, showcasing this Dude Love character. And um, yeah, I always thought that was interesting that he was able to, you know, uh, bring that back. And um, it was all Vince's, oh, Mix and Vince's idea, I believe. But yeah. Um, so... Um, apparently, here's a fun fact. One of my, um, friends that I taught, actually, Gold818, he actually, uh, went to school with, um, Mick Foley's son, Dewey Foley, <laughs> in Long Island, so that's interesting. So, it, <laughs> that must be, that must have been so weird. Uh, I kind of feel bad for the kid, you know, everyone asking about his dad and everything, I mean, Jesus Christ, I, but, you know, I... His father would have been raking in some good money for him, so he probably had a good, you know, probably had a good education, and but it must have sucked to, you know, have a, a star as a dad, you know, 
I mean, all the kids fucking, you know, making fun of you or whatever. Well, probably not making fun of you. It looked like he was a happy kid, though. There were some genuine pictures of him smiling with friends or whatever. But yeah, you know, that, that's kind of cool to <laughs> know somebody that knows the son of Mick Foley. Um, well, knew. I don't know if they really know each other now. Um, so yeah, the, the thing that really kicked off Mick's whole career was the feud with Vader. Um, that was what was really starting to give him attention. Um, and then the jump to ECW where he just went all out with his promos and then eventually Vince is like, hey, let's take you in. And it was all like uphill from there, you know. Um, the Boraloom Brawl match that he had in, um, when was it? Uh, 96. Man, that was one of the first really good matches pre-Attitude Era. That were, It was probably, yeah, the whole... You see, this is what I was talking about. There was always glimpses of the Attitude Era before it officially was a thing, you know. And I think the Boraloom Brawl and uh, Brawl and, um... You know, Austin's uh, 316 promo and all that, and, uh, you know, Brian Pillman's got a gun. They're good examples of, like, you know, the edginess uh, sneaking its way into the product at the time, which I always thought it was interesting. Um, Mankind and Undertaker's rivalry is definitely one of the best ones. Um, was in fantastic. Um, and the, the, the payoff from that rivalry with this King of the Ring, I guess, and... Um, I'm pretty sure everybody in the locker room, uh, the, uh, just, uh, Mick Foley pretty much gained massive respect after that, um, King of the Ring match. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I guess that King of the Ring, Undertaker basically made Mankind famous, like, you know, that was, uh, Undertaker's line, uh, throughout his American Badass phase or whatever, he was like, I'm gonna make you famous, you know, and stuff like that, and... But, I mean, Undertaker definitely made Mankind's uh, Attitude Era run extremely memorable, um, to say the least. Um, you know. But anyway, he eventually, uh, Mick Foley eventually became the WWF champion. And, you know, became the commissioner. Honestly, his run as the commish in 2000 is probably one of the best fucking things I've ever seen from that era. It was just amazing. Every series. <laughs> Like, he, all those, uh, you know, this backstage promos where he's, you know, he's got the little cactus and the, you know, the puppy dog or whatever, <laughs> or, or whatever the, or whatever it was, like, he's just, you know, he's like, you know, and that's final, you know, and stuff like that, it's just amazing, very memorable, um, and, uh, Mick Foley said it's probably some of the most fun he's ever had, uh, working in the, with, in the WWF, just sitting there, just cracking jokes every day and getting paid for it. I mean, fuck, one of the best jobs in the world, am I right? But yeah, he eventually left um, in 2001, I believe. He kind of just, you know, just um, went after he returned in October 2001, I think. I don't know, I can't remember, but yeah. After that, he, it, Mick Foley just kind of went back to the indie circuit and, um, yeah, he just messed around and wrestled with other people. He returned to WWE in 2003. He had various feuds with people and had a pretty good match with Randy Orton. Actually, Mick Foley was in the best shape of his life during one particular match. Um, I can't remember which one it was exactly. I wish I could, but he was looking really good. Um, if you'll give me a second here, I'll, uh quickly uh google it yeah yeah randy orton was amazing 
uh, when he debuted. He was in extremely good. Uh, yeah, I think it was Backlash 2004, I believe. Let me just quickly glance through this. Give me a second here. Yeah, Mick Foley, Backlash 2004. Yep, definitely looked in the best shape of his life here. Like, he just looked fantastic. Um... Well, 2004, he was in great shape in general, so, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, he worked really hard and lost a lot of weight and that, you know. But, um, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, no holds barred, that's the, that's the match. Um, so, yeah, Backlash 2004, pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a thing, I guess. Um... And then Mick just, like, you know, kind of just went to commentary and just did whatever. And, yeah, he's kind of just hanging around now, you know, just being Raw's general manager and all that. It can't really say he's really done anything else notable recently, um, which kind of sucks. I was hoping, you know, he would at least, you know, do something else, but apparently not. He kind of just exists now, which kind of sucks, but... Hey, Mick Foley, man, he's had such a, he's had a great career. He's done a lot of amazing things and, you know, he's a benevolent person. You know, he's, he's done a lot of humanitarian stuff, a lot of, uh, uh, and, uh, what is it called? <laughs> Someone that donates money to a lot of people. Uh, let me just, <laughs> let me uh, use the power of Google again. Uh, give me a second. Is it is it philanthropy? Is that what it's called? No, I don't think that's what it's called. Um, I can't remember. Just give me a writing career. He's done a lot of activism, which is activism, which is interesting. <laughs> um, oh wow, Foley actually has support for the Democratic Party. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's spicy oh what are you gonna do um let's see uh let's have a looky loo here is it called is it called philanthropy yeah philanthropy that's oh, such a weird word i always get that confused with um misanthropy which is like hatred for humans or whatever <laughs> I don't know how I get those two mixed up. <laughs> Misanthropy. Uh, Jesus Christ. But no, you know, it's, um, I'll tell you what, man, um, there's some pretty interesting matches here. Cactus Jack debut, um, when he, uh, No Way Out 2000, when he fell through the cage and broke the ring. Pretty, pretty awesome. Sight to behold, uh, it wasn't really as epic as the King of the Ring, but uh, hey, you know, um, yeah, there's, oh, there was some amazing matches, there was, uh, one with Shawn Michaels, I think, was it Mind Games? Ah, uh, let me, let me look this up, uh, Mankind, Shawn Michaels, I think it was Mind Games, I could be wrong about that, let me just, uh, yeah, Shawn Michaels vs. Mankind, In Your House, Mind Games. Uh, when was this? 1996. Yeah, that was... Oh, wow, that match. Let me just uh, just uh, run this up here and just have a look at it while I'm talking about it. Um, holy shit. This match, man, it goes for... Wow, it's got a very long um, runtime here. It's it's actually one of Mankind, uh, Mick Foley's uh, 
favorite matches ever, which, I mean, fair, that's a fair, um, opinion, <laughs> I mean, it, it looks, it's, wow, so he's got his, uh, brown attire here looking like a fucking caveman or whatever, they tried to do, um, probably not his best, um, outfit, but, you know, you work with what you got at the time, yeah, Shawn Michaels was in great form here, he was really, um, you know, he was really in his prime here, very good, and, um, yeah, Shawn Michaels gearing up for the sweet chin music, and he misses it. Um, <laughs> Mick just rolls out of the ring, and then he starts rocking back and forth like he's having a, a panic attack or whatever. And there's Paul Bearer there, I think. Is that Paul Bearer? I don't know. It, it's fucking weird. It, it's weird. But about half, halfway through the match here, where things get interesting, um, you know, you know, they were trying new things. Like, um, oh, yeah, doing, yeah, dropping, doing the, um, hitting mixed head on the, the steel steps and what, and whatever. I don't think that was even really a thing that was done that often at that time, I believe. I could be wrong, but I remember Shawn Michaels saying that during this match, they did a lot of new tricks with moves. And, um, yeah, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the stuff here, like the, um, like the uh, suplex into the steel steps and all that. That was pretty cool. Um, I remember seeing in an interview with Shawn Michaels wishes he could have done a lot more with Mick during that time um, because they could have done some, some tried out some new stuff. It's cool that as early back as 1996, you know, these guys were trying to, you know, go, uh, go into a new direction. And, and uh, you know, I, I definitely can respect that. That's, um... That's a, that's definitely the right thing to do. That was definitely a good thing to do at the time, especially when everyone around that era was just sick of WWF. Well, starting to get sick of it. I mean, there were still people to watch, but, you know, the ratings were going down, so... It was nice that they at least tried to uh, make things exciting. So when Dude Love debuted, it was kind of interesting. <laughs> Stone Cold's reaction was um, priceless. Um, <laughs> actually, I think that's one of the best sells he's ever done. <laughs> yeah, it was good, really good. Um, while we're on the subject, I cannot, I can't say I'm a huge fan of the of the dude, but you know. It was really just Mick Foley as just Dude Love, so his moveset wasn't that much different from his normal moveset, like he had the double MDDT, Manimal Core, I think, so, you know, it was just like watching another version of Mankind, more or less, although a little bit more hipper and knew how to dance. <laughs> I always thought, uh, Dude Love always kind of looked like a, a like a hippie, uh, I don't know how to describe it? I don't know, it kind of looked like a hippie mixed with, like, a biker. <laughs> I don't know, it was, it was uh, interesting, to say the least. I always could, like, just, the whole, it, he had the whole psychedelic vibe going on there, flower child kind of thing. That was pretty cool, I guess. It, I didn't really agree with the S. 
I mean, during it, seeing was the Attitude Era, and everyone was like putting on black clothes and being all edgy and whatnot. Well, it was. Well, I wouldn't say it was the Attitude Era yet, because Dude Love debuted in like July '97, I think. So I mean, well, I think that was around the time people they were starting to go into a more edgy direction. And seeing a character like, you know, a goofy character like Dude Love come out that was very reminiscent of a few years prior with all these colourful, wacky, flamboyant characters that people were starting to get sick of. It's like, uh, would this really work in, in this current climate? And, well, apparently it did. Dude Love was a hit, <laughs> you know, despite his goofiness and colourful character, he, he became a, a big hit and everyone loved him. So, you know... I mean, it's it it didn't hurt to give it a shot, and um, his Titan Tron is probably the funniest thing I've ever seen in the in the business when it comes to uh, as you know, uh, his, his Titan Tron is just so good. He's just like green screened and just dancing in front of random stuff. It's just oh my god! <laughs> you guys need to look at this Titan Tron. It's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so it's it's amazing it's just classic i love it um <laughs> definitely check that out um <laughs> but yeah dude love he was a he was a he was a he was a hip cat and uh the fans loved him apparently Here's something interesting about Mick, I bet you guys didn't know. He, his original wrestling name was not, like, Cactus Jack. It was actually Jack Foley. <laughs> uh, he actually debuted on, in, on WWE. That was, when he, when he went, when he went to WWF in, um, 1996, that wasn't the first time he's ever been on WWF. He actually debuted on WWF in 1996 as Jack Foley, which is interesting. Oh, um, uh, 1986, I mean. <laughs> My bad. Um, I mean, you guys probably know that, but it, I mean, the casual fan of wrestling probably wouldn't even know that half of these people have been wrestling for several decades before they even get on WWF or main, you know, wrestling promos. And uh, needless to say, uh, the British Bulldogs absolutely uh, decimated Foley, and I think it was Les Fortin? Yeah, it was a tag match, and I mean, the British Bulldogs were tag team champions at the time, they were really over, and they were just like massive baby faces, I believe, at the time, um, and uh, I could be wrong about that, I don't know. But I can't really remember. I I don't really, I haven't really seen much uh, '80s wrestling when it comes to like programming, like the 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 uh, you know the what did they did they even have Raw back then? No, I don't think they did. I think it was just WWF. That was like the name of the program. I could be wrong. I don't really know much about it. But anyway, you know, um, uh, I mean, I could quickly look that up now. Uh, let's have a look at this WWF programming 1986. Let's see what comes up. Um, let me have a look here. Oh, okay. So they had like uh, All Star Wrestling Championship Wrestling. 
Tuesday Night Titans and all that. And they basically just had a whole bunch of different programming for the, you know for the for WWF at the time. Um, so that was interesting. Um, I'm just trying to figure out the name of this. Let me just uh load up the match between Les Fortin Foley and the Bulldogs here and just have a look at uh. Oh, okay, so, um, it was the very first episode of, um, WWF Superstars, I believe, that he, uh, debuted on, so that's pretty cool. Um, that was the name of the program that they faced the, uh, Bulldogs on, Les Fulton and Foley faced the Bulldogs on. Um, hmm. But th that's pretty cool, I guess. I should probably read up on all these old programs and whatnot. Um, apparently, uh, Dominic DiNucci, the guy that trained Foley and a whole bunch of other people, um, actually took part in this, the, these types of, of squash matches, I call, for, you know, as jobbers, um, for WWF TV tapings, that's what it says here, it says, in addition to appearing in DiNucci's, um, cards, what? And it says here, Foley and several other students of Dominic DiNucci took part in some squash matches as jobbers for WWF TV tapings of primetime wrestling and superstars of wrestling, where Foley wrestled under the name Jack Foley and Mick Foley. Okay, so he he uh, wrestled on the first episode of um, Superstars of Wrestling. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, which was later called WWF Superstars. Okay, um, cool, uh, so, yeah, that's pretty interesting to know that, um, Foley's career really goes back, and, um, it was pretty, yeah, that's why I, like, enjoy, that's, that's why I really love, um, that's why I really love, um, you know, watching these types of documentaries, because you just learn so much about people's careers and whatnot, and, you know, I remember uh, Mick Foley talking about how painful that match was with the Bulldogs, and I think he actually dislocated his jaw as well, which that, that must have hurt like hell. But yeah, pretty cool. So uh, yeah, um, Mick Foley's had one hell of a career, um, to say the least. You know, he, he's he been several, he's, you know, whenever, whenever you want to call him, uh, Mankind, Mick Foley, Dude Love, Cactus Jack, whatever, um, he's definitely been one of the most notable talents in wrestling, period, and it's, it is cool that he's still active and whatnot, but, I don't know, he's kind of, as for in-ring stuff, I, he's done. Um, and, you know, rightfully so, the amount of pain he's put himself through is quite astronomical, but at the same time, it does kind of suck that he's done, but hey, you know, the man's gotta, you know, rest up, he deserves it. Anyway, that's basically all I got to say about Mick Foley, um, one of, you know, one of wrestling's, uh, most toughest SOBs, and yeah, so... I guess I'll just end the podcast. I don't know. I got nothing else to talk about today. It's been fun to be able to whip these up pretty quick and get them out pretty quick. Well, as quick as I can. I don't really like making people wait when I say I'm going to do something, which is why I made that mistake I did and had to correct it in the timestamp slash show notes.
Um, like when when I said Tommy Dreamer was at the that um show that I seen, no, he wasn't. <laughs> back in um that show I seen back in two thousand five, but yeah, whatever. You know, I say stupid shit sometimes. Nothing I can do about it. Whatever, I'm done with it. Um. And uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, thanks so much for watching and listening, and I'll see you guys later. Take care.